You know, it's really interesting that Jesus, when he was with his disciples, and this is prior to all that that occurred where they actually denied and betrayed and, and deserted him. This was six months before that. We're looking at this passage of Scripture in Matthew 18, where at one point Peter, again, I love Peter because he just asks what we're all kind of thinking, and they come up and, and they ask him, they say, you know, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And, and Jesus goes, boy, they're, they're just not tracking about the kind of family that I'm trying to build here. They're still... T- thinking in terms of greatness and influence and status. They're, they're thinking of the kind of um, try harder and, and, and God will be, you know, accept you on the basis of how good you are and the behaviors that you do and all these things. And, and, and that's a trap. That's the kind of thing that the Pharisees and the religious community that day was, was caught up in. It, it doesn't release the power of God into your heart. It, it causes people to live with behaviors that are conformed externally where there's a lot of stuff going on internally. And Jesus goes, no, you got to get this straight. And so he says, you guys, you know, grab a pen and a paper. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you some truths about the kind of family that I want to create, the kind of family that is based on, on, on grace and forgiveness that, that actually goes into the depths of the heart and changes the heart so that you take responsibility for your life and move into it with an empowered sense of cooperation with God to begin to live this kind of life, knowing that God loves you not on the basis how well, how well you show up and how well you behave, but loves you on the basis of what's in his heart, not yours. That's a totally new kind of community. And so Jesus comes to him and he says, guys, I gotta, we got to sit down again. So this is the fourth of five seminars found in the, in, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew. And he begins to give them some instructions on, on the kind of community he wants to create. So he has this little child come. He puts his hands on the child and says, you've got to become like this child. You've got to be vulnerable. You have to be one who is open. You have to have a sense of brokenness of, and, and limitations and understandings of your, your limitations. This is the kind of person you want to be. And then, then you've got to kind of create the kind of community that you, those of you who begin to understand this vulnerability of this child, you come around to protect that kind of vulnerability and that kind of brokenness so that the little ones that come to me begin to come to me out of this sense of their vulnerability and brokenness, you start to create a community that brings these kind of people so that in that vulnerability, true intimacy can take place and the kind of relationships, the family that I want you to know, that I want you to be here, can develop. And you need to understand that not only are you here to create and become vulnerable and create that sense of vulnerability that creates intimacy, that protects that, but you also need to know that's your father's heart. I mean, he is like the shepherd that when he sees even one of those lost who seems to be far away from him, like a Peter who's standing out there, he, he is calling you. He's, he's coming after you. And that's the kind of people that he wants to create. People whose hearts are like that. And so as he's talking about establishing this kind of community where it's a vulnerable and safe place, he also knows that when there's vulnerability... When you kind of open up your life to other people and you begin to live that way, when you choose to not be Minnesota nice where you're polite and you kind of have superficial relationships and and, and Minnesota nice where you begin to build coalitions and those coalitions divide and and you're friendly to one another, but it isn't the kind of energized kind of community where hearts are vulnerable and open. He says when you become vulnerable and open, when you start to live that way, recognize the fact you're going to get hurt. Someone's going to offend you. Someone's going to step on your toe. 
So let me ask you, how many live in a family where there's some vulnerability, there's some openness, there's some sense of intimacy? How many have gone through family life without ever getting hurt or offended? I see that. No, there's no hand. You see, Jesus is very clear. He says, he says, this kind of family that creates this kind of vulnerability, it's also going to be painful. There will be times it will be hurt. And, and I'm calling you to do the hard work that, that needs to happen in a family when you create this kind of family. So he goes on, he begins to address in verses 15 through 20, which is that lesson. He says, you know what you need to do? You need to go to that person. Then if you can't make things happen there, you need to bring someone with you. And if it seems to be the person is offending to such a degree, has no insight, no understanding, doesn't understand the consequences of the pain that they're bringing into this relationship, then you need to intervene in hopes that they will hear not sense of punishment, but they will hear the pain, the consequences that are occurring. So they'll go, I don't want to do that anymore. I love Jesus. He just speaks with such profound realism and honesty. I, I love the fact that you can to study his word and begin to understand why he puts these things together, why Matthew brought these teachings this fourth set of teachings for us to see. Because there will be situations when even after you have lovingly confronted an offense, that person may even own up but offend you again. And own up and offend you again. And I, I truly mean own up and offend you again. It says in Luke, that's what Jesus says at one point. He says, if a person comes to you and they offend you, he says, you repent, you repent. It keeps going on. You just, if they're repentant, you, you work through this process. And there's times when someone won't up, own up and, and they'll offend you and they'll offend you. And it's a really interesting thing. And I thank God for Peter because he's the kind of guy who he processes out loud. Don't you like that? He's the kind of guy, when it comes to his mind, he's kind of extroverted in his processing. He can't help but say what's come to mind. And so he kind of, just in the middle of the seminar, raises his hand and says, You know, uh, Rabbi, I, I got a question. And, and, and Jesus says, What is it? Let's look at Matthew eighteen twenty-one through 22. I'm going to read from the message because I, I like how it, it just is more of our vernacular, the way that we kind of speak. It says in verse 21, at that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask. I put and raised his hand. That's my little. Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? And Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. The New International Version reads this way. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And some of you in the NIV, the newer version, in the footnote, it says 70 times seven, which I'll explain a little bit later. I think coheres better with the Old Testament and gives you the picture of what he's actually saying to Peter. 
So to be clear on this text, I think it's really important that we just stop again and, and get the context and that we, we understand what Jesus has been saying when he talks about creating a safe place for vulnerable people to show up to develop the kind of intimacy. And in that kind of intimacy, there's going to be offense. But the kind of community that I want you to develop is not Minnesota nice, but it's a deep, loving, present community where you work hard to stay connected with one another. You don't do the kind of stuff where you, you go sideways with it, but you really do the work that says we are going to be deep, loving, peacemaking kind of people. And so the first lesson that he had, you know, the lesson he had shared, I think last week is I just titled it this way. Clean up your messes. It's not a real profound way of, of saying in a sense what Jesus is saying. It's a very simple way. And he's talking to kids. So I thought, let's just use the kid analogy. Simply, when you've messed something up, Jesus is basically saying, unmess it. Or if someone messed something up, then go to them and, and ask them to clean it up. In, in your life, he's talking about relationships here. Take responsibility for your life and empower others to take responsibility for their lives so that you clean up what you've messed up. Does that make sense? There should be a simple rule that if you make a mess, you clean it up. See, when your kids leave out their toys, what do you do? You pick it up, right? No, you're not supposed to. I know we all do at times, but what you're supposed to do is to teach them responsibility. So, you know, you, you took us all out. So I'm going to teach you how to take responsibility for what you've done so you can clean it up. And it's really that simple. That's really what Jesus is saying. You just pick it up. You made a mess. You've, you've made a mess in a relationship. It's your responsibility to go back and deal with what has been messed up there. Sometimes we don't even realize we do it. But he's basically saying, if you know that you have done something and purposely and you, you've maybe offended someone or you begin to see something like that, he says, then you need to go and say, you know, I stepped in your toe. I'm really sorry. Or you need to, 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 to own up to the fact when you in a relationship have made a commitment and you haven't followed through on that commitment and you said, you know, I'm really going to be home at six and it turns out to be seven and you do that again and again. You need to own up in the sense that, hey, I'm not holding up to my commitment. I need to tell you I'm sorry. And that remorse should lead to some kind of change. You need to understand what Jesus is so simply saying is that when you make a mess, you clean it up. If you lose your cool, you need to apologize and make amends. If you lose your cool in a group of people, apologize to that person, but apologize to the others as well. Because you need to set things right in community. And so when there's been a relational breach, you need to take responsibility for that breach. But Jesus in this passage of Scripture is not just talking about when you do something, you own up. He even goes a step further because this is the more difficult thing. This is what we are trained to do so often. And we excuse it and we go, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It really doesn't bother me. And if it really isn't that big of a deal, it is one of those things that you just kind of, you know, you take the hit and you go, oh, that's OK. The person stepped in my toe, didn't even realize it. They probably walked by. I don't need to go after him and say, do you know what you didn't know? You don't need to do that. But he goes on one step further here in verse 15 of chapter 18 and he makes this statement clear he says you know what if someone offends you someone hurts you and it really is something that bothers you you've been thinking about it you have to talk to someone else about it maybe it's something that you have even had in your mind for maybe 15 years 10 years i've talked to people yes even in our own congregation who have had some hurts that they shared and i just wonder in my heart have you ever gone and just said you know what i've just got to get this clear 
You see what happens so often that it destroys community. It zaps the energy out of life, whether it's in a community like this or whether it's in a marriage relationship. When you begin to start building those walls, you start putting up those things and you do those kind of things that separate your heart from one another. You lack energy even in a marriage. You lack energy in a community. And Jesus, that's not the kind of community that came to create. I'm calling you, every person here, to grow up and to mature. If you really want to show up in vulnerability, then it calls for us, myself included, all of us as leaders and elders and the rest of the church, for us to just say, God, I am now going to grow up. And if someone does something, I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get this understood. And the the thing that's really cool about this, if you go, you share what's going on and you lay it out and you say, I think you made this mess. And if the person is able to go, yeah, you're right, and it can create the kind of energy again in the relationship that God wants, that Jesus was creating and establishing. But it may be that they're going, you know, I really didn't do this. And so you need to bring someone else along that you both can kind of agree with in some sense that has maturity, perspective, and can help you understand. Because sometimes in relationships, when someone bumps you, and they may just bump you, they may be bumping into something as a deep bruise that's been there in the past. And God may be actually using this incident to, one, clear up something here, but to clear up something far deeper in your heart that needs to be dealt with. And it's just fun. I saw someone in the, in, in the hallway after this service who had for years lived with unforgiveness with regard to their father who had actually passed away and kind of gave him a hug. I said, you know, whenever I speak unforgiveness, I think of you. And, and, and he just hugged me and he said, man, I can't believe I lived with this for so many years. And, and that wound <laughs> was bumped by other people and affected those relationships. And so Jesus is basically making this simple point. If you've been, you know, in this place, if you make a mess, clean it up. And it takes guts sometimes to do that. My daughter a few months ago said to me, Dad, in the kitchen, um, I get up early, have time alone with the Lord and get things, you know, in my heart there. And I come out to the kitchen. So I'm in this kind of soft place, vulnerable. And she says, Dad, what's the deal? I'm not really sure where she's going with this. And she goes, you know, in the morning, you leave your dishes up on the counter next to the to the dishwasher up on that. The, you know, next to the sink, they're all washed off and everything. But she goes, what's up? I, I said, well, what do you mean? Said, well, why don't you just put them in the dishwasher? Why don't you just clean up your mess? Now, that's kind of just a little thing. But I just say that simply because that's part of what God is calling us to do. It's not to come and attack. It's kind of like, what's, what's going on here? Help me understand. Let's work this thing through. So that God's spirit and life can become energized here. Whether it's in a community, in a business place, in a family, in a marriage. When you have that kind of unresolved stuff going on. The energy and life of that place is sapped. We can't afford that. Because this isn't just about us. It's not about how much we enjoy it. There's a world out there and they want a family that's real, that's willing to do the hard work, that creates the kind of safe place for people to be vulnerable and come in and learns how to love and grow. You know, there are people who you work with, who you are next, living next to, that you socialize with, who don't 
have any idea of what a family is like that is hungry to create a culture of peace and honor and love. And guess what, folks? We will stand before God as a body on whether we create this here. All of us. So what's your part? What's your part in that? So Jesus makes that first lesson, which um, he just basically says, cleaning up messes, um, if you don't do it, merely compounds the sizes of messes that you make in your life. And so, you know what, let's, let's start cleaning them up. Now, Peter's listening to this. And he's hearing this, in, in just as you and I are. And he's thinking, you know, but there are these kind of individuals who just continue to make messes in my life. How, how do I deal with that? How do I forgive this person whether they're intentionally making messes or unintentionally doing it? I mean, how many times do I forgive? And I think the next lesson, Jesus says, okay, get your pens. And what I want you to write down here is you don't live in other people's messes. And, and I want to share with you how not to live in other people's messes. It's a simple thing. It's not an either or. You can choose to do it or not. It's a step of obedience. It means that you will follow Jesus even in this, which means that you, as Jesus did on the cross, you will say, as you, Father, have forgiven me, I'm going to forgive others. I heard someone who shared with me this last week that, that um, failing to forgive, choosing not to forgive, is letting someone live rent-free in your mind. We, we kind of think, well, I'm going to not forgive them and I'm going to hold on and, and I'm going to hook them in. And what's so sad about that is just like this person who I saw in the hallway afterwards, the person, his father, basically, who had, who had hurt him and offended him and, and wounded him deeply, has been dead for a number of years and he still was hooked to this person's pain in his life. And forgiveness is the gift you have to unhook yourself from any of that mess and to say, okay, God, I know there's consequences and I know you're going to have to work in my life to deal with those things. But you know what? I'm not going to live in any, any further in that mess. I'm going to ask you to heal this in my life. I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I think one of the hardest things, though, is to forgive ourselves. Forgiveness is a difficult thing to understand, even with God sometimes forgiving you. I remember when I was uh, at uh, seminary and I was living down in Illinois and I was working at the Lincolnshire Marriott um, Hotel. And I was a banquet waiter, kind of earning my way through school. And I worked with a woman who was in her 50s. She had fiery red hair and was this Irish lady. And and she was asking me often about, you know, what I was learning in seminary. And I was always praying and saying, God, I just would love for her to understand how how forgiven you, how she's forgiven in your eyes and what you've done on the cross for her. And, and she came from another faith tradition where she felt just guilt and shame. And, and, and I remember one time just sharing with her how much God loves her and how he's forgiven her and the work he's done on the cross. And all she has to do is believe what has been done. And, and she says, you mean that God will forgive and let go of the wrong I've committed by merely my saying, I'm sorry? And then asking him to forgive me and just trusting that? And I said, yes, with excitement. I'm thinking she's getting it. She's understanding. And she looks at me and she goes, God's not that dumb. I think of Peter as we saw in his drama. And he, I mean, just think about how hard it is to forgive 
yourself. And a lot of times the forgiveness of God, God says he made it very clear in his word. He sent his son to pay for your sins, to forgive you, not just the one time, but for all the times that you sin. He says all those many times of sin, the sin and the guilt and the shame. I think what happens for us is it's even harder for us to forgive ourselves. So when we blow it again, we are more just we we hear this voice of this accusation and, and this voice of condemnation. And we 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 still are in works. We're not exceed, receiving the gift of God. We in our hearts and our minds, we go, if we can just punish ourselves long enough and we can just be in this place of penance long enough, it's really a matter of works. So you work this place, so you finally do this long enough, you feel bad enough and you feel to this point that you kind of go, now I can come back. And he says, that's not how I want you to live. That's not the freedom of forgiveness. Freedom of forgiveness is that you understand what you've done and you begin to understand that. And when there's remorse in your heart, you begin to say, God, I just I'm, I am so sorry, but I'm not going to live in the shame. I'm not going to live in this guilt. I understand that I have blown it again. Now you go to this place instead of going back and trying these behaviors that you look really good and feel accepted by others. You come to a place where you come to God and you say, God, something's going on in my heart. I don't understand why I keep doing this. This is the work of the family that God created. The only way you get released to do that with God is if you receive his forgiveness and you forgive yourself. Because when you come to that place, now what happens instead of really trying to perform and to measure up and you're on this external behavior track, you're now in this place where God can go inward into your heart. Because this is the kind of family Jesus wants to create. Where you get deeper into what's going on and saying, God, what is What is it that causes me to do this again and again? What causes me to snap at my wife? What causes me to to lustfully look at a person? What causes me to gossip? Seriously, what is it that's creating these things? And instead of trying to white knuckle it and try and just behaviorally put yourself out of it, you start going to God and saying, God, there's something wrong in my heart and soul. And you may need to open your life. To someone else. So one of the worst places to live, folks, is in darkness and shame because shame hides you. Shame is all like Adam and Eve putting kind of these leaves on them. And, and God comes and says, where are you? Where are you guys? This is really cool because he doesn't say, hey, I see you guys. He says, where are you? He makes you to get out in the open and says, here's where I'm at. I'm hiding from you. You need to step out to someone else, maybe to a godly counselor or a really mature friend and say, here's what's going on. I need you to help me understand the, the disorder in my own soul, the emotions in my own soul that, that somehow has continued to work in such a way that I act in this way. And so this was a question that that Peter was wrestling with. He had blown it big. He had made a bold claim. He said, I will follow you to death. Jesus had actually warned Peter when he was in the garden, watch and pray. I want you to keep your eyes open right now and your heart and you're in a place where you can see what's happening spiritually. And guess what? Peter actually attempted to die for Jesus. We kind of write this off. When, 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 when Jesus came out of the garden, they saw these people approaching. Peter drew his sword. He actually cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus reattached it, looked at him and goes, Did I come to bring violence? Or did I come to create the kind of family that begins to be changed from within their hearts? And it's not this power system. And so Peter feels really probably um, right there and not sure what to do. And so then Peter follows Jesus to that courtyard. And Peter, out of all of them, is at the courtyard. John in the inner circle because his family was well connected. But here's Peter. He's standing there kind of warming himself, his hands by the fire. And as he's standing by the fire, a little girl comes up to him and, and asks him three times, 
And three times he says, I don't know this guy. And then he feels so much shame and so much guilt that he flees and he runs. And he asks himself, how can I be forgiven? I just keep blowing it. Um, What's really kind of interesting is this question that Peter is asking, which he himself will experience, he's asking it before that ever happened. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? And if you're asking that kind of question, you honestly, I don't think, know in your heart the kind of forgiveness that comes from God. Think about that for a second. The reason Peter's asking that is because he hasn't yet experienced the, what I call, supernatural forgiveness that is found in God. Our heart betrays who we are. Our heart is, it's a good thing those things come up. Don't get on yourself if you see it. If it comes up, go, wow, just look at it with curiosity. God, I, I, I need your help here. And so he's in this place and he says, you know, Jesus, I got a question for you. You know, we've been talking about this whole thing of a vulnerable, safe relationship where God goes after these kind of people and you want us to do the same. And when we create this, we're going to have people stepping on one another's toes and we're going to have to clean up one another's messes and we need to own up for our own mess. And this happens. What happens in the community when you got to do it again and again and again and again and again? How many times? How many times do you forgive another person who wrongs you? In Matthew 18, 21 through 22, Peter comes to Jesus and asks, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And he's really kind of, I think, get on the edge right here. He goes, up to seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Seventy times seven is what I think the scripture says, and we'll explain it in just a second. I think Peter comes up to him and says seven times, and he's being really generous. He's going, wow, uh, Jesus, you know, I know you're the rabbi, and I'm just kind of impressed you with the fact that I think maybe seven times, um, you know, maybe you'll give me an A-plus on this exam for this answer. You see, in rabbinic literature, if you really understand what Peter's saying, in rabbinic times, the literature would say the consensus among the rabbis is this, that if you would sin against someone three times or had been sinned against by three times, on the fourth time, you don't have to forgive anymore. That was the standard rabbinic answer. So Peter's really going above and beyond duty. He's saying, and he's using the number seven, which is a pretty biblical number for the sense of completion. In a sense, he's saying, you know what, as much as I humanly can, you know me, Jesus, I'm going to step out on the water. I'm going to go to death for you. I'm going to forgive to the extent that I can forgive. That's pretty noble. I don't think we should come down on that. We always look at Peter and go, oh, I can't believe. No, that's pretty impressive. If you would actually say in your heart, you know, I'm going to forgive as much as I possibly can. That's a good thing. I love Jesus, though. He goes, you know, yeah, Peter, let me help you out a little bit more. I didn't call you to live the kind of life that you can live in your power and strength and flesh, which is where the church often lives. I called you to live a life that isn't what you could live. I called you to cooperate with the kind of life that only God can give. I've called you to a broken place where you come to the end of yourself and your limitations and what you can do. And then in the end of yourself and your limitations, you understand you're broken like every other vulnerable little one who's going to come into this place. And you understand that only by God and by the grace of God will you have the ability to choose to forgive so that the, the power of God begins to manifest himself in you as you do that. And I come and change your life. And so Jesus says 70 times 7. 
And you understand that you just go back to Genesis chapter four, verse 19 through 23 and 24. These these disciples were trained in the Old Testament, so they really knew Genesis. So when he said 70 times seven, it wasn't just some number float out, floated out there. This would come to mind in some ways. In verse 19, it says Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other Zillah. As you go through this, you see here's the first mention of polygamy. Lamech was the last descendant of Cain. And what you have with Cain with the first murder, when, Jesus, when, the, when the Father God said that he would avenge, if anyone would, would murder Cain now at this point, they'd be avenged seven times. You see this line continue to spiral down into evil till you come to this guy named Lamech who's really a mess. Wicked. The fullness of that is showing up in him. And so in verse 23, he says, Lamech said to his wife, to Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech. Hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me. Okay, it's not an eye for an eye. I killed a man for wounding me. A young man for injuring me. I don't even care about young life. Youth. If Cain's avenged seven times, then Lamech, 77 times, or 70 times seven. Literally, if someone who killed Cain is punished seven times, then the one who kills me will be punished 70 times seven. He's boasting. He's arrogant. He's, he's wicked. He's saying, if you think, you think seven times is what is going to happen with Cain, it's going to be so beyond anything. In fact, it's unlimited. What he's using is the word infinity, 70 times 70. He's saying it's my kind of a vengeance is going to be godlike. So then if you read on a little bit further, you'll see also in Daniel, the same thing is brought up. In Daniel, you read in chapter 9, this incredible confession and repentance and, and prayer. And I, I'm not going to read through all that I I put the scripture down here, but at one point, Daniel identifies with the sins of the people. People sometimes say, well, you know, how can you do that? How, how can God listen to the, the prayer of someone for all the sins of the people? That's, identif- that's identificational repentance. He identified for the sins of the fathers and, his, and those who were behind him. And he said, I stand here in line with these people and I ask you for mercy. And he, he, at one point he, he says, and he didn't do this kind of stuff. He says, we have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants who spoke in the name of our kings, our princes, our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. The Lord answers his prayer. And in that prayer comes an angel, Gabriel, and Gabriel comes to him and he says, I come to give you insight and understanding. And he's basically saying for the sins of your people, which has mounted up to such a degree He said there are 77, 70 times 7 decreed. His point is this. The kind of forgiveness that your people need, that you need, that I need, is the kind of forgiveness that only God can give. It's so infinite, so beyond what we could ever imagine. And so when Peter's standing here saying up to seven times, he's saying, you know what, as much as I humanly can which is, you know, in my strength. And Jesus goes, that's not the kind of family I want to create. I want to ask you to to forgive like God forgives. And your heart goes, I can't do that. You ever been up against that in your own life, maybe for yourself, just even forgiving yourself or forgiving someone who's really wounded you deeply? You can't do it. 
You can only say, God, in my brokenness, in all humility, I, in obedience, am going to choose to forgive. And I ask you to come in and to begin to work in my heart to bring about the change that needs to take place. And in the same way someone does it again and again, guess what? You may have to choose again and again. I love Corey Tenboom, who was in Nazi prison camp and was faced at one point, years after she was there, after one of her talks, a guy came up, she looks at him, it was one of the guys who had killed her, um, the, the people closest to her. I think even her sister was one. And this guy was... Uh, in her mind, a wretched person and came up with tears because he was so moved about the fact that God would forgive him. Here stands before someone who had only by the power of God could be forgiven. And she put out her hand and forgave him. And she said forgiveness works like this. It, you, you ever seen these big bells in a church? And you ever tried to ring one of those bells? When you try and ring it, nothing really happens. You maybe pull the string a little bit. And it, but if you keep pawing it, and you keep pawing it, and you keep pawing it, all of a sudden it gets kind of fun, and there's momentum, and eventually it starts to ring a little bit, and then it rings louder, and then eventually it's just ringing like crazy, and then all you got to do is go like this. The forgiveness of God works in your heart like that. But it begins with a choice. And you have to choose to do it. And it's not about you giving them a gift. It's about the gift you receive that you don't have to live in the mess that someone else has created in your life. The mess that you maybe have created that you can't even forgive yourself for. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we just close here in prayer. As the team comes forward, we sing just to close the service. I want to ask you this question. Do you need to let go of your pride and step again into the forgiveness of God and receive the free gift he's given you in Christ? And I'm going to ask you to put in your eyes kind of that person or that individual or whatever it is that, that you know needs forgiveness and to say, God, this is not about them. It's about me and you. It's about not living in the mess. It's not letting someone be rent free in my mind. Would you just close your eyes and before the Lord? If you're having a hard time forgiving yourself right now, Jesus comes by his Holy Spirit and says, I love you. I forgive you. It's not about you. It's about what's in my heart. It's about it. The truth that was, was made known 2,000 years ago, you can look at the cross and there you see that you're completely forgiven. And all you need to do is receive that right now. And if that's your heart, just say, and maybe you've never done this before. You've, you've been far from God. You've walked from God. Maybe it was when you were younger, you had a sense of being close to him. But right now he's come to you and he's saying, just open your heart and just, just say, Jesus, forgive me. I've sinned. I open my heart and receive your forgiveness. And I ask that you'd be the Lord, that you would come into my life and lead my life. And maybe you're just in this place where you just have to say, God, I need your help right now to forgive, to start ringing that bell. I'm going to choose today to forgive, and I'm going to choose again and again to do that. Father, we give you all praise and thanks, and we worship you in Christ's name.